To discuss today's headlines, I'm joined by Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Olcroft. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Stephen. Delighted to have you back. And Barry Wood, RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, is joining us live from Washington. So good evening, Barry. Yes, sir. Good evening and good morning to you, Stephen. That's it. Cover the bases. I was quite depressed after reading the pessimistic comments from the global bankers who are here in Hong Kong for the HKMA summit. Were you depressed too, Stuart? Uh, no, not really. Um, nothing, nothing very much um, was said that was new. That I think that um, I think we all knew most of what was being said. Um, I, I was quite pleased to hear the comments made by um, one of the or the vice president from China uh, about trying to get Hong Kong to become more proactive in terms of certain of its financial services obligations, um, but. Probably, if uh, someone had the opportunity of talking to him carefully, he would, they would point out to him that most of what is holding back Hong Kong is China blocking the opportunity for Hong Kong to actually sell more product into China. So I think there's, there's nothing very much new coming out of it. Um, I would say that um, the, the, the Four Seasons Hotel, where this event is being held, is surrounded by begging bowls at the moment, both on the inside and the outside. Um, the, the, on the outside, of course, it'll be the usual um, uh, players, uh, those that uh, are street sleepers, among others. On the inside, um, it'll be those who are hoping to get some business out of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority as their host, who, as, uh, uh, as one of the largest investors in the world, um, give out money to be managed by many of the large investment companies that are, that are present and also provide banking services um, and, and license banks as well in Hong Kong. It, the, the event, which is being held over the three days, um, starting with a visit to the museum and then uh, talk first yesterday and, and, and really just a few private meetings today, I think um, for, for many people, uh, there's nothing very much new coming out of this. OK, but I guess it was the move away from the agenda I was worried about and the fact that the CEOs and top bankers are focusing on all of this, Barry. Well, look, Hong Kong, as everyone listening to this radio program knows, is the gateway to China. China has a lot of people. <laughs> Those people That's have a fact. lot more money than they had five to ten years ago. So it's not surprising that um, the European and the American banks are very eager to tap into that market, as Stuart so rightly says. But no surprises. I think Stuart is obviously there. He knows what's happening. But uh, this is a very important gathering. There's no doubt about that. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has tremendous credibility worldwide. So there you are. Yeah, certainly a good sign for Hong Kong. Uh, yesterday's headline from Bloomberg was Wall Street faces a reality check after a big rally. Do you agree with that? And how would you see the reality check play out, Barry? Well, if that is intended to focus on a stock market rally that has now gone on with hiccups up and down uh, for some time, since we had quite a setback a couple months ago, I think that um, I would have to be like Stuart Allcroft and say, that's not a surprise. <laughs> it should not be a surprise that uh, investors are coming to conclude 
that U.S. interest rates are likely to remain high for an extended period of time. And it would take a significant slowdown for there to be any kind of real serious talk about interest rate reductions. And of course, further, Stephen, the higher interest rates mean that the economy, and there's all kinds of data to support this, that the economy is slowing. You mentioned earlier the growth in credit card debt. The government is obviously having to pay a lot more interest on its very large destabilizing debt. So, yes, that is a sobering thought, I guess, for the big international investors. Yeah, I think part of the issue, though, and, and, and Bloomberg may be right, may be wrong, for all we know, because these headlines don't really mean that much the day after they've been written. Um, but uh, you know, many of the big companies in, in the United States are still going up in their, in their share price. Microsoft right. reached an all-time high yesterday, for example. Um, they're still making good profits. And so why would the market, namely Wall Street, want to see a big correction from that situation? I don't think that's going to happen in the short term. Maybe when we get to 2024 uh, and the election year in the United States, that would be a more interesting time, a much more likely opportunity for a reality check. Certainly will be an interesting time. Mm. Sorry, go on, Barry. No, I was simply going to say, look, it's obvious, about a year from right now is the presidential election. There's still tremendous uncertainty about how that is going to evolve in terms of who the candidates will be. It's not certain that President Biden and former President Trump will be their party's nominees. It's likely, but not certain. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And let's not forget what is obvious before us, and yet markets seem absolutely unfazed by, are the wars in Ukraine, and most significantly now, the war in Gaza between Israel and Hamas. Yeah, and I remember on a previous show, Barry, you were forecasting that at least one of the candidates would change. So interesting to see how that plays out. But it's interesting that the Democrat policies seem to be quite popular, but Biden himself is not so popular. Why do you think that is, Barry? Well, I think most of all, it is because he is increasingly perceived as a older man who's having some difficulty both in movement and sometimes even in speaking. I think it just has to do with age because you're quite right. The economic policies are bearing positive fruit. There's nothing wrong. The United States economy has defied expectations of a slowdown thus far. So I think it has to do with President Biden's demeanor more than anything else. And do you think the closeness he's developing with China or trying to China um, is a positive thing when it's seen through the eyes of the Americans? No, I think there is a very strong respect for the difficult fine line that the president and his administration has to walk. In terms of China, there are so many voices saying don't have anything to do with them. And at the same time, there are many voices saying, hold it, there's money to be made, we are dependent on China, they are dependent on us economically, we must 
have good relations. So I think there's respect for the fine line and the balance that the president has pursued, and we shall see over the next week if that can bear additional fruit when the two leaders meet in San Francisco. So, Stuart, do you think the Chinese population on the whole hate the Americans more than the Americans hate the Chinese? Oh, not at all. I think if you ask people at the street, um, no, they don't at all uh, hate the Americans. Chinese people love America. Um, it is the politics that is what, get, what, what, is what gets in yeah. the way, not the people at the, themselves. And, and just look how many um, Chinese tourists go to America. Hmm. They come back and, and, and are inspired by it. American tourists would love to spend more time in, in China, like many others from Europe, too. So I don't think it's uh, the people at the, uh, that is the problem. It is the politicians that are the problem. And uh, as Barry has alluded to, there's a certain group of U.S. senators who probably have never been to China, but every time there is anything referring to China, <laughs> yes. they, they, will, they will try to sort of get for themselves an element of publicity which they see as being a way in which they can get re-elected. Mm, interesting. Anyway, I want to move on to WeWork now, because that's quite a headline, because it's succumbed to bankruptcy. WeWork, of course, is sponsored by SoftBank. Now, this goes completely against all my theories and guesses during COVID because I thought the success of remote working would move organisations to getting, ready of, getting rid rather, of their very expensive offices, normally in very expensive places, and leverage organisations like WeWork for meetings and hot desking. So what did I get so wrong, Stuart? Well, uh, I mean, Barry's probably got quite a lot to say about this, but let me just start by saying WeWork was sponsored by private equity. It was then boosted and at one point was um, thought to be valued within the private equity market at almost 50 billion U.S. dollars. Um, but it made major mistakes. Major mistakes were that it, was, it took out leases on office buildings, often in secondary locations, and then uh, subleased the space on short-term leases to individual businesses. And then COVID came along, and many of those people started working from home rather than in, in rented office space, which was what we work was providing and um, they discovered that working from home was not on not a bad idea in some instances and and saved them a significant amount of money so we work got caught with um, the, the the sort of the old bankers phrase really they borrowed short lent long um, they lent long by buying uh, or taking in long-term leases and borrowed short by having their, their leaseholders taking one or two-year leases and then with COVID they, they gave those up. So not a very, not a very good story. Um, they have a lot of locations all around the world, but they've also faced a lot of competition. And if you wander around Hong Kong, you'll see there yes. are many, many similar types of offices to those of WeWork, and that's probably true of most other cities. Barry? Okay, yes, Barry. Yeah, I think, uh, Stephen, uh, your, your concept, your, your presumption is correct. It was a great idea. And I think that uh, what they came up with in 2010 and these two founders, uh, the most important being Adam Newman, uh, this was great. I mean, and at, at its peak, you had, what, 800 locations around the world. I mean, Europe, Russia, 
Uh, I don't know about China, but certainly, as you say, Hong Kong, it was everywhere. The problem was that uh, Newman self-destructed. He just overreached, he paid himself too much money, he got into too much debt, as Stewart has outlined. Uh, th this was unnecessary to fail as it so gloriously has now. And here you had, in 2019, he was finally forced out, and here was uh, Masayoshi's son and SoftBank as a rescue, but even they could not dig out from this pile of debt. It shows that an entrepreneurial idea is really dependent on its founder. And if the founder then is seen to be corrupt and forced out, that damages the brand. Well, Barry and Stuart, thank you very much for yet another interesting chat today. Really appreciate it.